0: MSW Media Thanks to AG1 for supporting our show. If you want to take ownership over your health, try AG1 and get a free 1-year supply of vitamin D3, K2 and 5 free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com/dailybeans. Daily beans Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, January 2nd, 2024. Today, Trump's response brief in the immunity case is due to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Israel's high court strikes down Netanyahu's judicial overhaul law. More Americans can now get insulin for 35 bucks. McKinsey will have to pay $78 million in U.S. opioid settlements over its work for drug firms like Purdue Pharma. And an appeals court allows California's ban on guns in most public places to take effect. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hi, Dana. Happy New Year. I mean, I know it's January 2nd when everybody's listening to this, but it's the first for us. So happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year to you. I hope you had a safe and a happy and all that stuff rested, ready to go. Yeah, I set an alarm so I could wake up at 11.58 <laughs> and then watch the ball drop. <laughs> I actually,
1: because I'm on the East Coast, I'm, I guess it's the same for everyone, though, that's still trying to make it to midnight. I actually made it. And I don't know if any of our listeners are in London. Uh, I was watching CNN. The firework display over the eye in London is one of the most magnificent things I've ever seen on television like if you're there in person I can't even imagine what that was like but I mean Europe knows how to do it they do Paris I'm a fireworks girl so like I I chase fireworks and waterfalls and so watching like even just
0: on TV the ones in Paris and London unbelievable we had non-stop like home made fireworks all around our block last let night me, let friend. me say
1: before we get people riding in I know the fireworks are not good for the animals. They're not good. They scare the animals. So please let, know that there is a part of my heart that loves and respects that, but I also
0: can appreciate the beauty of it. Before a bunch of people write in and think I'm a horrible person, <laughs> yeah, I like the drone firework thing. Those are like, amazing. That's cool stuff. But yeah, my my friend, my best friend, and I. You know, she lives next door. We're texting each other. Happy eight fifty four p.m. You know, nice. Happy <laughs> happy nine thirty one. Happy like just back and forth whenever. <laughs> like I think a,
1: some of the. Uh, I think some of the um, Asian countries have developed silent fireworks. Mm-hmm, yeah. they, they still
0: poof in the air, but they're just not loud. Yep, yep. That and the and the drone displays are are silent. And yeah, uh, the pets here were fine. Um, Good, uh, but uh, the man, they just uh, kept going, didn't stop. But uh, yeah, I woke myself. I had to get up. I had to wake up. I've been watching. <laughs> I've been binge watching for all mankind. Oh, I have I had it started in like 2019. I had not I for some reason was put up, put off getting into it. But wow, what a cool show. Uh, so if you're if you're watching that, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. You can send it into the good news uh, for us. But it's pretty cool. Also today later in the show, I'm going to be talking with our friend Dave Ehrenberg uh, down in in uh, Palm Beach County, right over there near the uh, the good old Mar-a-Lago. He's the he's the state attorney, which is like a DA. For Palm Beach County down there. Um, and uh, then of course we'll have the good news that Trump's response brief is due today in the DC circuit court of appeals. It'll be interesting to see if he adds to his already shitty arguments, which are, I was acting within the duties of my office or the outer perimeter of my office or whatever, when I totally broke the law or lying is okay. It's covered by the first amendment or, uh, you can't, um, it's double jeopardy because I was impeached uh, for for mm. insurrection, um, his arguments are lame. But we'll see if he adds any arguments since those amicus briefs were filed, uh, and the one by Judge Ludig of course, was accepted. Um, and he might try to preemptively argue against the other two amicus briefs that were filed. But you know, we'll be keeping our eye out for
1: it. It's so frustrating, and I'm sure it is to a lot of us and you that like we live in a world where. He's admitting he did it, but just trying to find all of these reasons why it was acceptable, and it just shows you how fucked up our laws are in this yeah. country in some ways. But none of none of his
0: arguments are "I'm
1: I didn't do it."
0: Exactly. <laughs> it's all that's bizarre. not, I didn't
1: do it. It's it was
0: covered, and I uh, did it, and I'm immune. I did it. Yeah. And I'm a king, or I did it, and it was part of my job. Or mm-hmm. yeah. So that's his shtick, bullshit. We'll see more of that today. All right, we have a lot of news to get to, so let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. First up from Marion Berger at The Washington Post. Israel's high court on Monday struck down Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's polarizing law that sought to limit the court's power over government decisions and sparked a mass anti-government protest and international condemnation a whole like, giant heaping pile of horseshit. Netanyahu's plans to overhaul the judiciary upended Israel in the months leading up to the Israel-Gaza war. And I should say, I don't know why they call it that should be the Israel-Hamas war. But anyway, they now threatened to cause a constitutional and leadership crisis just three months after the hotly divided country uh, united behind the war effort, and I—I I mean, you can call it the Israel-Gaza war too, depending on what you know, how you place what Netanyahu is trying to do there. And I'm going to talk a little bit in a minute about how he's—I think—after a ton of pressure from the United States and other allies, that he's actually pulling back a little bit, which he should pull back a lot. Uh, but Netanyahu's Likud party slammed the decision as. Uh, quote, in opposition to the nation's desire for unity, especially in a time of war. Okay. So we need to gut the judiciary to be a united. Okay. That's terrible. Today, the Supreme Court faithfully fulfilled its role in protecting the citizens of Israel. And that's what the Israel uh, opposition leader uh, said on X, which we call Twitter here. Monday's ruling concerned an amendment to Israel's basic law which serves in place of a constitution that was pushed through and passed by Netanyahu's far-right government in July. The altered law removed the right of the Israeli Supreme Court to block decisions made by government ministers that the judges deemed unreasonable. So basically taking power away from their Supreme Court. In striking down the law eight to seven on Monday, they have 15 Supreme Court justices, by the way, The top court's ruling calls for the legislation to be removed. If Netanyahu's government refuses to honor the ruling, the wartime country could face what we call a constitutional crisis. The overhaul plan, which Netanyahu's coalition first proposed last January, set off nearly a year of widespread social unrest and drew extraordinary opposition from military and senior security officials. Supporters of the legislation said it was necessary, uh, it was a necessary corrective to an activist Supreme Court led by a clique of elite judges. Um, hmm. Opponents said the law could lead to authoritarianism and paved the way for Netanyahu's far-right and ultra-Orthodox backers to alter key foundations of Israel's liberal democracy. Weekly protests against the proposal drew hundreds of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands, Dana. Military pilots and soldiers threatened not to report for volunteer duty if the government refused to back off its plan. And in March, Netanyahu fired his defense minister after he, his name is Gallant, called on the government to halt its plan, warning of potential security problems for Israel if reservists walked out. Gallant was reinstated two weeks later, by the way. President Biden, one of Israel's staunchest allies in March, also came out against this law in a rare public disagreement. I hope he walks away from it, Biden said, adding that Netanyahu's government cannot continue down this road. And Israel said it will be withdrawing some troops from Gaza this week, an indication it might be changing its tactics on the ground, even as it remains uh, you know, publicly committed to not do that. In a statement Monday, the Israel Defense Forces said that two brigades would be pulled back from Gaza this week, 7,000 troops or so, and three other brigades would follow at an undisclosed date. Now, Biden, as we know, has been pushing for this with his continued calls for temporary ceasefires and to to get hostages out and his diplomacy efforts towards a a two state solution. So I have a I have a feeling that uh, U.S. pressure uh, is probably what garnered this drawdown.
1: I sure hope so. All right, A.G., next up from CNN, more Americans with diabetes. Well, they're going to get a break on their insulin costs in 2024. Sanofi is joining the nation's two other major insulin manufacturers in offering either price gaps or savings programs that are going to lower the cost of drugs to $35 for many patients. Now, the three drug makers are also drastically lowering the list prices for their products. The moves were announced in the spring, but they didn't take effect until January 1st. Now, some 8.4 million Americans. They rely on insulin to survive, and as many as one in four patients have been unable to afford their medication, leading them to ration doses, and that's sometimes fatal ramifications, and that's according to the association. Congress and new players in the market have increased pressure on insulin manufacturers to lower their prices. Medicare enrollees now pay no more than $35 a month for each of their insulin prescriptions. That's thanks to the Inflation Reduction Act, by the way, which Democratic lawmakers pushed through Congress in 2022. But drug makers also forced changes in the Medicaid rebate program that would likely have cost them hundreds of millions of dollars each if they didn't lower their list prices. (laughs) Yep. Now, Sanofi established a $35 monthly cap on out-of-pocket costs for Lantus, and that's its most widely prescribed insulin in the U.S., for all patients with commercial insurance starting January 1st. It already limits the cost of $35 for all uninsured patients. Novo Nordisk, in September, launched the My Insulin Rx program, which provides a 30-day supply of insulin for $35 to eligible patients, including the uninsured. The company also offered copay savings card that allows eligible patients to buy its insulin products for as little as $35 and no more than $99, depending on their health insurance coverage. Eli Lilly, in March, instituted an automatic $35 monthly cap on out-of-pocket costs for those with commercial insurance buying its insulin products at participating retail pharmacies. Now, the uninsured are able to download the Lilly Insulin Value Program savings card, which allows them to get the medication as well for $35 a month. Insulin makers, they're more willing to cap out-of-pocket costs now because of the public pressure, and there's been a lot, to increase affordability and because of new competitors such as Civica Rx. And that's from Tim Lash. Tim's the president of West Health Policy Center, which focuses on lowering the cost of healthcare. Now, Civica Rx is working on manufacturing and selling insulin for no more than $30 a vial. Sanofi cut the list price of Lantus by 78% to $96 for the pre-filled pens and $64 for the 10 milliliter vial starting January 1st. It reduced the list price of its short-acting Epidra insulin by 70%. And just a short note here before I move on, it's clear that these companies are still making a fucking profit, which means they were gouging people that needed insulin. That's what's clear about the story still. Now, Novo Nordisk, uh, they lowered the list prices of several of its insulin vials and prefilled pens, including NovoLog, Novolin, and Levemir, by up to 75% as of January 1st. Now, the new list price for NovoLog is $72 per vial and $140 for the FlexPen. And Eli Lilly said it would slash the list prices of Humalog, its most commonly prescribed insulin, and of Humalin by 70% by the end of 2023, which has passed. Human will now carry a list price of $66 per vial. So these moves were carefully timed, and they will save the companies hundreds of millions of dollars a year. This is what experts are saying. That's because the 2021 American Rescue Plan Act, well, it made a major change to the rebates that drug manufacturers pay annually to state Medicaid programs, a change that's kicked on January 1st. So if you think they're doing this out of the kindness of their heart, I guarantee they are stealing from one pocket and putting it
0: in the other. And they're doing it because the, arrest, the American Rescue Plan had that cool backdoor thing, and and you know, I mean, this is obvious. What happens, right? If we offer, like we could in in the inf- American Rescue Plan Inflation Reduction Act, thirty five dollar vials of insulin through mm-hmm. Medicare, then the other companies have to compete with that. Yeah. If you if you're faced with thirty five dollars or six hundred and fifty dollars, you're buying the thirty five dollar insulin. Yeah, and if they're losing
1: 75% of their revenue from this, well, let's say one of their drugs, they've lowered it by 75%. Just think about these profits these drug companies have been making up
0: until now. It's grotesque. Yeah, so thank you, President Biden. That's how, that's how the market works. <laughs> Competition. That's why we want a public option for healthcare, care. Yeah. Uh, because then the private health industry will have to compete with that low-slash-free price. And uh, they uh, also improves the, the, the quality of medical care. Next up from Reuters, consulting firm McKinsey & Company has agreed to pay $78 million to resolve claims by U.S. health insurers and benefit plans that it fueled an epidemic of opioid addiction through its work for drug companies, including OxyContin maker Purdue Pharma. And if you saw, if you watched last week tonight, John Oliver did an entire segment on McKinsey. The settlement was disclosed in papers filed on Friday in federal court in San Francisco. It marked the last in a series of settlements McKinsey has reached, resolving lawsuits over the U.S. opioid epidemic. Plaintiffs accused McKinsey, one of the leading global consulting firms, of contributing to the deadly drug crisis by helping drug manufacturers, including Purdue Pharma, design deceptive marketing plans and boost sales of painkillers. McKinsey previously paid $641.5 million to resolve claims by state attorneys general, and another $230 million to resolve claims by local governments. It has also settled cases by Native American tribes. Friday's class action settlement, which requires a judge's approval, resolves claims by so-called third-party payers, like insurers, that provide health and welfare benefits. Paul Geller, a lawyer for the plaintiffs, in a statement said the drug crisis was caused by an oversupply of dangerous addictive drugs, and the case Aimed to recover some of the money spent over the prescri- uh, on the overprescribed pills. Now, McKinsey did not admit any wrongdoing. In a statement, the firm said it continued to believe its past work was lawful. It also noted it committed in 2019 to no longer advising clients on any o- opioid-related businesses. Yeah, and that's because McKinsey, while they were helping the FDA and representing the FDA, they were also helping Purdue Pharma. Yep. Now. Let's see. The litigation has resulted in more than $50 with a B in settlements with drug makers, distributors, and pharmacy chains. Nearly 645,000 people died in the United States from overdoses involving opioids, both prescription and illicit, between 1999 and 2021. That's according to U.S. Centers for Disease Control. The U.S. Supreme Court earlier this month heard a challenge by President Joe Biden's administration to Purdue Pharma's multi-billion dollar bankruptcy settlement, resolving related claims against the drug maker. So, this is a, a one in a long line of settlements that uh, that McKinsey is going to have to pay for playing both sides of the aisle. Yeah. Ooh, Purdue Pharma, that family. Ooh. The Sacklers? Oh, the,
1: yeah. No, the Sacklers. Yeah, my goodness. All right, A.G., last in this block. This is from The New York Times. A federal appeal, appeals court on Saturday allowed California's ban on carrying of firearms in most public places to take effect in 2024, halting a lower court judge's ruling that had blocked enforcement of the law. Now, the state law, which is Senate Bill 2, it set several restrictions on gun ownership, and Governor Gavin Newsom approved it in September. But Judge Cormac Carney of the U.S. District Court of the Central District of California blocked enforcement of the law in December, saying that the ban on guns in most public places was unconstitutionally, it would unconstitutionally deprive citizens of the right to bear arms. Okay. Judge Carney wrote in his ruling to grant an injunction that the ban, and I quote, is sweeping, repugnant to the Second Amendment and openly defiant of the Supreme Court.
0: Ooh, I'm
1: scared. I know. But the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals paused the injunction, allowing the law to go into effect on Monday while the court takes more time to decide on the constitutionality of it. Now, Mr. Newsom... As we know, as a Democrat in California, he hailed the appeals court's ruling in a statement saying it will, and I quote, allow our common sense gun laws to remain in place while we appeal the district court's dangerous ruling. Well, the bill's author, State Senator Anthony Portantino, who is the Democratic Senate, one of the Democratic state senators, said he was cautiously optimistic that that law would withstand the legal challenges. He said, clearly, Californians will be safer when SB2 becomes law. He added that the restrictions are in the best interest of the public, along with banning the carrying of guns in most public places. The law sets the minimum age for obtaining a gun license at 21 and adds more requirements for gun safety training before receiving a new license. The public places covered by the law. They're divided into 26 categories with various locations, including playgrounds, public transportation, stadiums, amusement parks and museums, The law also prohibits people from carrying firearms on the grounds of private businesses unless there is a clear signage indicating that they are allowed. Now, concealed carry permit holders and other gun rights organizations, including California Rifle and Pistol Association, the Second Amendment Foundation, and Gun Owners Foundation, they filed a challenge against the provisions banning guns from certain public places. Well, Judge Carney agreed with the plaintiffs in his ruling that the law was too restrictive on permissible places and said, effectively abolishing the Second Amendment rights of law abiding and exceptionally qualified qualified citizens to be armed and to defend themselves in public. So, end quote on that from the judge. But the California Attorney General, uh, Rob Bonta, who appealed Judge Carney's decision, by the way, argued in a statement that Guns in sensitive public places do not make our community safer, but rather the opposite. More guns in more sensitive places makes the public less safe. This is what the data supports. End quote. Now, C.D. Michael, uh, he's the general counsel for California Rifle and Pistol Association, said the Saturday ruling from the appeals court was not really a win for the state yet, since the court still must judge on the merits of the case. And he said, for decades, people with a license to carry in public have been able to carry in all of these places. That doesn't mean it's right. He called, That's what I added. That's not <laughs> from the story. He called the state law an effort to get around Bruin, referring to the U.S. Supreme Court ruling in a case, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. What that did is it struck down a New York law that had restricted limited the carrying of guns outside homes. Well, the Supreme Court dramatically shifted the standard of restrictions on firearms with that decision in 2022. Well, since then, several states have moved to restrict the carrying of firearms. New York, for instance, they passed a law to prevent people from carrying guns in sensitive locations such as Times Square, public transit, sports venues, and houses of worship. Now, the laws created confusion and generated numerous lawsuits, Illinois, by the way, also banned high powered guns this year in response to a mass shooting on July 4th of 2022 in Highland Park. As we know, that's a Chicago suburb. Now, this month, the U.S. Court of Appeals from the Seventh Circuit, based in Chicago, actually upheld that ban. Now, when Mr. Newsom signed the ban on guns in public places into law, he also approved a sweeping series of gun safety measures, including the micro stamping of handgun cartridges, cartridges to help with tracing crimes and an effort to use funds from bullet sales to improve gun violence intervention programs and school safety, I'm all for that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And, you know, this whole, the argument here is, you know, well, what a, you know, so then the only people in these sensitive places with guns are bad guys. And right. it's the whole good guy with a gun fallacy. You know, I got a lot of friends who are, in you know, police officers, Harry Dunn, you know, all that, that whole group of group of folks, and they do not want to go into a place where everyone's got a gun. Right. Um, if if you're in a public, like if you're in a mall and somebody pulls out a gun and starts shooting, a mass shooter, and some good guy with a gun pulls out a gun and starts shooting, and then some other good guy with a gun can't tell who the bad guy is and starts shooting, and then the cops show up and they don't know who the fuck is the bad guy or the good guy, and everyone with a gun gets a, gets a bullet. It's just it's no, it's just no, it's not safer. (laughs) It's just not. Um, And we
1: know it's a fallacy because otherwise they wouldn't ban guns at places like the Rifle Association meetings that they have. Or Mar-a-Lago. Or Mar-a-Lago. It's a (laughs) a gun free zone for a reason. And it's absurd to think that they're the exception and somehow
0: they're safer because of it. No, they just want to basically increase murders in uh, cities so that they can say democrats are soft on crime. Mm-hmm. Also a couple other laws that went into effect today. Washington state is expanding its 10-day waiting period on the purchase of all guns. Illinois, like I like you mentioned, that their high powered semi-automatic rifle ban and high capacity magazine ban goes into effect today and Colorado bans ghost guns starting today. So all good all good laws. Common sense gun laws is going to effect today and it's going to cause a bunch of lawsuits and we know what the Supreme Court's going to do with them. But here we are. Yeah. We do what we can. All right, everybody, we've got a lot of good news to get to. But first, I'm going to be speaking with my good friend Dave Ehrenberg from down in Florida. Uh, but we have to take a quick break. Stick around. We'll be right back.
2: After these messages, we'll be right back.
0: Hey everybody, it's AG. I used to spend most of my days pretty sluggish and low energy because I have a lot of anxiety, but that's before I started drinking AG1 and I made it a daily habit. Taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should be simple, right? These habits should be easy to pick up, and that's why for at least, all, you know, almost 3 years now I've been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in some water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel energized and ready to take on the, everything I have to do. And that's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, and more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. AG1 provides me with the comprehensive nutritional support that my brain, my gut, my immune health all need. It's packed with essential vitamins, probiotics, whole food nutrients. It's my way of ensuring I've got all my nutritional bases covered, setting a healthy foundation. So when I'm on the go, pushing through an intense workout, tackling a lengthy workday, traveling. I know I need extra nutritional reinforcement, especially now that I'm, you know, menopausal. I've got huge gaps in my nutrition. And that's where AG1 comes in, offering a comprehensive blend of pre and probiotics, adaptogens, antioxidants, whole food-based protein nutrients. Drinking AG1 every day ensures I have both energy and focus. I love it and I recommend it to everybody I know. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why we've partnered with them for so long. So if you want to take ownership over your health, start with AG1. Try AG1. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Exclusively, at DrinkAG1.com slash Daily Beans. That's DrinkAG1.com slash Daily Beans. Check it out. Hey, everybody, welcome back. I'm happy to be joined today by my good friend, state attorney for Palm Beach County. Also, you know, kind of basically the DA down there. Please welcome Dave Ehrenberg. Hi, Dave.
3: Great to be back with you, AG.
0: It's really good to see you, my
3: friend. Yeah, uh, happy new year to you and your listeners. And I'm excited about 2024, a year of justice accountability and democracy, or maybe I'm too optimistic.
0: Nah, I feel the same way. I feel the same way, my friend. I think Miriam Webster asked, what word do you want to hear more in 2024? And I said, guilty. I would like to hear the word guilty more in 2024. And let's talk about that, because in order to be convicted and found guilty of the four counts against him in D.C., first we need the courts to determine that he is not immune or that at least the appeals court has jurisdiction to even hear this case and not kick it back to the district court. So today is January 2nd when this airs, and uh, this is the end of the briefing line, the briefing schedule for the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals and the immunity claim that uh, Donald Trump is trying to make. We call it the monarchy motion because that's basically what it boils down to. And I know you, I know you recently listened to the interview that uh, Andrew and I did over on the Jack podcast with Judge Ludig. Tell me what your thoughts are on where you think the appeals court uh, is going to come down on this immunity decision, and also do you, if you think SCOTUS is going to even hear it.
3: Well, first off, kudos to you and Andrew for an excellent interview with Judge Ludig. That was uh, one of the best. And uh, he is so impressive. And just w- one thing I noticed from that interview, I thought it was very funny. He didn't know who Ari Fleischer <laughs> was, which <laughs> right? no one seemed to call him out on that.
0: <laughs> no, I just, I thought it was funny, you know, and I, I don't know if it was a bit or not <laughs> because, you know, I don't like to step on people's punchlines, but he was like, whoever this Ari Fleischer person is. And I just thought that was hilarious.
3: I, I think that was real. I don't think he's, he's got bits. I don't think Judge Ludig has bits he didn't know who Ari Fleischer was, which was really, it shows you the integrity of him because Judge Ludig is apolitical. He was about to be appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court by George W. Bush, whose spokesperson was Ari Fleischer, but he didn't know who he was because he doesn't do politics. So I think that just tells you a lot about the guy.
0: Right. No, exactly. So I imagine that uh, what Trump is about to file, I don't know if he, if him him and his attorneys are advanced enough to address the three amicus or amicus briefs that were handed in in this case. One of them's been accepted. The one that's been accepted, at least thus far, is the one uh, that Judge Ludig took part in. There's another one by uh, George Conway, Olivia Troy, et al., and then there's a third by the American Oversight, and they're arguing jurisdiction. But the jurisdiction argument did come up in Jack Smith's filing, along with some of the points that Judge Ludig et al. made in his brief. But I honestly don't think that, um, I don't think they're going to grant immunity at the appellate court level, but I don't know what they're going to do with that decision. If they're going to lift the stay on the D.C. Circuit Court and allow that trial to continue, kick it back down to her because they don't have jurisdiction and have to to make Trump wait until after a conviction to appeal uh, under immunity uh, or what? I'm not sure.
3: Yeah. Look, the one thing I am sure of is that they are going to rule for the government on the issue of immunity. There's no chance that Donald Trump gets the absolute immunity that he seeks. And if he did, then Joe Biden should just arrest Trump, cancel the election, and just say, hey, I'm a king, because (laughs) the courts just ruled that way. But it's not going to happen. And so we know that. The bigger question is exactly what you said, will the state be lifted? Because Trump's whole battle here is about delay. He knows he's going to lose the absolute immunity argument, but he wants us to be dragged out as long as possible. And he knows that the D.C. case is for all the marbles because that's the only criminal case hovering over him that, in my mind, will be heard before the election. And if he could delay that until after the November election, then he may be home free. So this is why he is so desperate to delay matters. And I think what's going to happen is, as Doug Ludwig and you mentioned, that this is going to be a a quick decision. It's going to be a clear decision. And I think the U.S. Supreme Court is going to defer to the lower court's ruling and just deny cert, I think that they sort of tip their hand in refusing to bigfoot the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals despite Jack Smith's request. I think they would rather just defer to that lower court and then be done with this issue.
0: Well, that's my dream scenario, and it has been from the get-go. And if you're going to achieve that dream scenario, you would have had to have gotten that first SCOTUS denial to leapfrog over the appellate court. Of course, the media was like, big win for Donald Trump, big loss for Jack Smith. I'm like, no, 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 this is step one in the biggest win that Jack Smith could get if indeed the Supreme Court refuses cert the second time around. But also, I want to ask you about a little bit of a sleeper case because, you know, you say that um, this one's for all the marbles. But, you know, depending on like if the Supreme Court grants cert and they schedule arguments out in April or May, we still got y- your cohort, the DA of Manhattan, wh- who's ready to go in March on 34 felony counts of uh, of falsification of business records. But I don't know that there's enough time to get that trial in before we get the D.C. trial in.
3: Yes, I think that is that is a good uh, way to look at it, the sleeper case, because I think that is the second case most likely to be heard before the election. I didn't mention it because I I think this case will be heard before the election. The D.C. case—that's a bigger case. That one really can deprive Trump of his freedom, perhaps after the well, election. It, it,
0: and it's a, it's about stealing an election, whereas the right. Manhattan DA is about 2016 crimes for a hush money.
3: Right, and you know, as a as a fellow DA, I, I can say I don't think it's the strongest case. I mean, he's it's all misdemeanors. He hasn't yet explained why it becomes a felony. Like, What is the grounds to make it a felony? What is that other crime that it relates to? So I I don't hold much hope in that case. I do think, though, that the DC case will be heard before the election. I think that uh, he'll be found guilty. And then the question is, does he get incarcerated before the election? You, I believe I saw your tweets, and I will always call it Twitter, where you say that because of the length and the sentencing memos and all the Pre-trial determinate, you know, uh, investigations that there's no way he goes into an orange jumpsuit before the election, and and perhaps you're right, but I still think it'll be a powerful verdict if he is found guilty by a jury of his peers to have interfered with the election, deprivation of rights, intentional uh, uh, the uh, the was it called defrauding of the United States, a conspiracy to defraud the United States, and he has two counts of the uh, obstruction of an official proceeding, one obstruction, the other one conspiracy, so. I think he's in a lot of trouble there, and I do think the easiest question is whether or not he will win this immunity issue. The answer is no, but then the question is what happens. I think that the dream scenario is more likely than not that that happens. The Supreme Court just denies cert, and then – then I the, the, for me, the bigger question is does the D.C. appellate court lift the stay – immediately saying it has no jurisdiction or just decides to lift it. That could happen. And I just, I'm not sure about that one.
0: And that would require Trump to then go to en banc or petition the Supreme Court for an emergency administrative stay, which could be issued. I just want to put that out there. While the the appeal goes to the Supreme Court, even if they deny cert, there probably will be a five, six, seven day administrative stay applied while they decide whether or not to take the case, not whether or not it deserves a long stay, right? Because these applications for emergency stay, which he has been denied every step of the way, or I should say the full stay has been denied every step of the way, but the emergency administrative stay has been granted at every step of the way. And that does not ever mean that they think that this is gonna win on the merits or that they'll even take the case. So I just kind of wanna caution everybody because the, the media is gonna go, uh, you know, they're going to they're going to say, oh, court blocks stay on lifting of stay on trial back back on hold, you know, and everybody's going to be really angry. But I just want to <laughs> put it out there that it's an administrative stay while they consider whether or not to take the case. And if it happens that way at all, they might come back and just deny cert before they have to answer the stay question. So, w- you know, we don't know the chronology of events that will happen or even which events will happen but i do think this trial will probably be delayed past the march 4th date but i don't think it will be delayed past like say the convention in july
3: agreed i would be surprised if it was delayed past may i think it's going to be heard within 60 days of the original date maybe i'm too much of an optimist but look you've got judge hutkin who wants this thing to go you got jack smith who built this case for speed in only four counts, no other co-defendants, and he's giving Trump discovery and an exhibit list, and uh, it, it he's he's pushing the envelope, and it's really getting under Trump's skin. And you gotta love it. And I think you guys were uh, talking about that on your uh, Jack podcast. But I like it. I love when Trump says, "Hey, we're not going to even look at this material you send us." No way. But you know, he is. Of course, he is. It's like the guy at the restaurant who orders a steak rare, and it comes back as well done, says, oh, this is not how I ordered, but leave it here. And, uh, you know, it's gone by the time the waitress comes back, right? You know, he's consuming that thing.
0: Oh, well, of course. I mean, it's, I would, it's best for your case. But, you know, you want to be able to come back later and say, once the trial is back on track, you can say, all right, now we're going to crack into this. So we need more time to review it. (laughs) Uh, even, Even though we've been reviewing it this whole time. That's, I think just kind of par for the course, and 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 to to be fair, the case is stayed. They do not have any obligation to open these up. I mean, he even made a another filing. Jack Smith did. He filed his motions in limine, in in addition to his exhibit list and some more discovery. And they and of course, uh, Trump was very angry about that. You you stop filing things. This whole thing has stayed. Stop! Leave me alone. La la la. You know, fingers in the ears. Um, <laughs> but he's he's opening that immediately. He wants to know what's in the exhibit list. Probably sure. more than we do. So
3: <laughs> sure. And, and, and you know, as, as prosecutors, you're allowed to file your motions early. He can file a motion in limine, and and only if the judge tells him stop doing it. But she's not because he's allowed to do so. Mm-hmm. So it, it's funny because it not only is it get under Trump's skin, but it also helps Jack Smith in the court of public opinion because he gets to get his motion limine and all the other stuff out there in the public. And Trump's people cannot respond to it. His lawyers cannot even question it or or deal with the substantive arguments. And so he's he's losing at his own game because he's really good at the PR game. But here, Jack Smith has the field to himself now. And and it's just it's wonderful to see. Jack Smith is definitely the smartest guy in the room.
0: Yeah. And Jack Smith can say in his motions in limine that he that Trump, shouldn't be able to make certain arguments and here's why, or that his lawyer shouldn't be able to cross-examine, uh, you know, other lawyers or members of Congress or the vice president, Vice President Pence is in in certain instances protected by the speech or debate clause because knowing, you know, knowing that they can't, you know, respond because they are held by privilege and that that can, you know, the juries can draw negative inference from that even though they're instructed not to. And he, a lot of these motions eliminate. He's probably not going to win. The judge is probably going to say no. Let's just see what happens in court, and you know we'll we'll deal with objections on a case by case basis. Because it, I think it's uh, unwieldy to have to get pre-clearance for any question you want to cross-examine a witness on about privilege or speech or debate. But it's a way for him to get, like you said, get that information out into the public. To have people like you and me read it and tell everybody about it on the news and he can't, and Trump can't
3: respond. It, it is great. It just, he uses Trump's techniques against him. You know, Trump is used to having his way in the court of public opinion, where he gets to bash prosecutors, and prosecutors aren't allowed to speak about a pending case, at least not outside of four corners of our documents. So here's Jack Smith, who found a way to muzzle Trump and is able to speak through his documents and let you and I do some of the uh, explanations. It's amazing. I mean, I, I'm in awe of him. And I just think that's why I think things are going to go well for the rule of law in 2024.
0: I think so, too. And and something else to be said about Jack Smith, he's got a long history of of prosecution, especially in the public corruption unit. He has indicted senators, members of Congress, governors, political figures. He's indicted a former president. So I, if he decides or if he Finds that there's not enough evidence to indict, say, Marjorie Taylor Green or Josh Howley or Ted Cruz, then I trust his his decision on that. I, I'm assuming we'll see it in a declination report when this is all said and done. But I also don't think he's done indicting it. Uh, you know, back on August 1st of this year, just a few months ago, he said the investigation in D.C. is ongoing. He's got six unindicted co-conspirators, and now he's named another person who was, you know, texting back and forth about the. Michigan riot that they were trying to stop the count there. So there's a seventh person, but they're not an undicted co-conspirator. I think there will be more indictments and perhaps even superseding indictments, but I don't think that will happen until after this trial is done because I think that if he does that, it could weigh down the the timeline on this particular trial.
3: Agreed. That shows his savvy that he only uh, filed charges, indicted Trump in the DC case. He only filed four counts. Didn't go beyond that. He could have uh, tried to go for insurrection. It would have uh, perhaps made the arguments easier to to bounce Trump off the ballot. But Jack Smith didn't. He knew it would be much harder to prosecute him for insurrection. He kept it out, and that's a reason why his case is going first. So, yeah. I, I, and, and and by the way, you had a great discussion of insurrection. I do think it is a real possibility. It, I know you may want to get into it a bit. That. That uh, it's it's a non-zero chance, as someone said, that the Supreme Court upholds the uh, Colorado ruling. I think it's unlikely. I think you and I are on the same page as that. That just you know reality bites. It's just the Supreme Court. I think is going to uh, going to overturn the Colorado decision, but there is still a shot. Yeah,
0: and in order to overturn that decision, they're going to really have to um, be very inconsistent and shitty textualists. So it'll be interesting to see how they. They're sitting around right now, I know, Harlan Crow and uh, Clarence Thomas are looking at some Nazi plates and and, and, and Nazi memorabilia and trying to figure out how they (laughs) blocked the Colorado Supreme Court ruling without looking like inconsistent a-holes. But as far as insurrection, yeah, uh, you know, some might say that um, Trump might have had a better double jeopardy argument had he been charged with insurrection because he was acquitted in the Senate of insurrection. So it still is a terrible argument and wouldn't fly, but it might not get tossed out of the Supreme Court as quickly as, say, something that where that charge doesn't appear. Oh, who knows? And, and also you'd have to make a First Amendment argument, and he probably wants to limit that uh, as well.
3: It's, it's going to be interesting. And the Supreme Court, they're, they're originalists, they're textualists, and yet they're going to have to sometimes. Yeah. Well, that's right. It's, it's when it's convenient, right? They say they are. Uh, but, you know, I'm, call me cynical. I just think that politics plays a role in all their decisions, as we saw in Bush v. Gore. I and mean, after I saw that and when in the Bush v. Gore ruling, uh, both sides retreated to their political stripes and in the ruling by the majority, it actually says. Uh, this is not to be used as precedent for any other case. It's like, hey, we, it's such a bad ruling. Don't use this. Don't try to bring this up again in any other case. And that to me shows you what a political body the Supreme Court, in its essence, really is.
0: Yeah, that, and that's why I'm like they'll they they want to in their like within the depths of their souls they want to deny immunity, but they want to keep them on the ballot. And they're just trying to figure out how they're going to do that and maintain consistency and how to do it within the law, because every single judge so far in every single court has determined that Trump did engage in insurrection. So it's going to be it's going to be fancy that uh, that whole ruling, uh, but we'll see how it goes. And I think Judge Luttig had said he expected the Supreme Court to deny cert on the Colorado Supreme Court issue for Fourteenth Amendment, but once Maine Secretary of State stepped in and, and kept him off the ballot there. He he said that he believes that they're more likely now to 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 weigh in. So we'll we'll see what ends up happening. Um, there's a huge time crunch on that. We've got the filing due today and the immunity thing. We're going to be watching it all. We've got a January 11th closing argument in the civil trial, two hundred fifty million dollar civil trial for disgorgement. We've got a, a, a desperately attempted stayed trial of the Eugene Carroll. One case. We've already tried two. That starts on January 16th. We have a heck of a month coming up, and I, I hope you'll come back on and talk to us about these, all these different uh, trials that are happening.
3: You can count on it, AG. Love being on with you.
0: Thank you so much, my friend. Everybody, uh, we're going to have some good news, but we have to take a quick break. Stick around. We'll be right back. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news? Near. Good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, you want to play? What's the model of your oxalotl? Or opine on the bovine? Or what the heck wine? Or what the hell's in that shell? Or what the cat me if you can? What the mutt, Whatever it is you want to send to us, we'll guess. We'll guess what it is. Guess, just guess what this is. That's. The, it sounds like a category on Celebrity Jeopardy, right? <laughs> guess what this is? Uh, and it's just a picture of a frog. It's a frog. Um, uh, or if you let's see, if you have d- dissertation titles, theses titles, I love those. Whoopie Blanky stories, uh, stuffed animal stories are amazing. Shout out to a loved one. Shout out, shout out to yourself. Uh, shit, kids say. Shit, you say. Anything you want to send to us, adoptable pets in your area. If you can't pay Pod Pet tax, send it to us at DailyBeansPod.com and click on Contact. First up, Patrick on Patreon. A correction. You see, Irvine are the anteaters, not the aardvarks. Small but significant difference. Zot, zot, zot. I knew it. I knew it was something like that. <laughs> I love it. You were and close. I, I was so close. Um, so yeah, if you send in me pic- send in pictures of anteaters or aardvarks and say what the aardvark, I won't be able to tell you
3: <laughs> what the difference
0: <laughs> is. <laughs> and from I'll take the next one too. Lori C, no pronouns. Happy New Year, A G and D G. Lori C. here, pronounced she and her. This time of year reminds me of my favorite Miss Heard song lyric story. From the time Dan Fogelberg released the song Another Old Lang Sign, I was perplexed by something I thought he said. Quote, met my old lover in the grocery store. The snow was falling Christmas Eve. I stole behind her in the frozen foods and touched her on her seat. Unquote. Creepy, right? Sneaking up behind a woman you haven't seen for years and touching her like that? It's lucky she didn't get mad and walk away. Then about 10 years ago, I went to a cinematic Titanic New Year's Eve show at the Keswick Theater in Glenside, Pennsylvania. Shout out to that beautiful theater where J. Elvis Weinstein performed the song and clearly enunciated the word sleeve instead of seat. And I laughed at myself so <laughs> hard. Coincidentally, and speaking of guys named Elvis, please see the attached picture of my beagle mix, Elvis, and feel free to guess what the other breed is he's rocking. Blessings to you, your team, and all your listeners, and many thanks for the beans. Well, he looks like a straight-up beagle to me.
1: He does, except there's a little bit, um, because his his face is narrower. narrower. Yeah. Is there a shepherd? Not shepherd. I actually, I don't even
0: know. It's narrower.
1: Oh, we've got some dots in the next one. Maybe it's a, a Aussie mix.
0: Uh, I don't know. I can't tell. I don't know. Maybe, I, you know I what? I can tell
1: you the other one is 100% Grinch, if anyone's
0: wondering. 100% Grinch. <laughs> look at that. Oh. All right. What do we got here? Ah, Fox Terrier. I wouldn't have, it doesn't, I don't see No. Nope. I don't see it. That's a, it is this, this where we do in heavy lifting. Is this where we judge dog weights? Like, no, no, I don't no, see it. I don't think so. Mm-mm. That's what I think. We That's like start when, doing. you know, what celebrity yeah. do you look like? Oh, people say, I look like uh, Scarlett Johansson. I don't see it. Nope, nope. People say I'm part fox terror. Mm -mm. I don't think so. My favorite is the opposite. When someone's
1: like, "Oh my god, you!" My friend looks just like you, and they pull up a picture of their friend, and you're like, "That's what you. That's what I look. I look (laughs) like that." Look like. (laughs) Or my my uh, my other favorite is, oh my god, when people see photos now, they're like, "You look just like you did in high school," and I'm like, "Okay, well, either I look good now, or I look like I was 47 when I was in high school."
0: (laughs) You're an old soul, Dana. Uh, Literally Oh
1: my god All right, this next one's from Phil Pronouns he him Who also looks amazing I don't know There's no picture of Phil But I bet (laughs) Hello beans queens I've written in before And talked about my experience Moving from the US to Canada But yesterday I hit the biggest milestone When after five years living In north of the border Immigration Canada Approved my application To be a permanent resident Woohoo Yep In American terms That means I'm getting my green card In a couple of years I should be able to apply For dual citizenship for tax, here's another picture of Sophie, who's been with me since she was a kitten in Connecticut. Oh, my God. She's so floofy. Yes, that fluffy belly is a trap, but I still love giving her belly rubs until she starts with the little love bites. <laughs> Thank you for everything you do. And a reminder to all of our listeners living abroad to start requesting those absentee ballots. Yes. Shout out to Democrats abroad and the amazing information they have on their website for every state to make sure all Americans know how to exercise our voting rights. Happy New Year! Thank Ooh. you so much, yes. Phil. And this
0: is a lot of floof. That's a big. That's a big floof. Look at the floof in the cheeks. Even I know. Adorable. I remember Sophie. Thank you, Phil. And thank you for the reminder. Everybody, check out Democrats Abroad. Get those. Uh, get those ballots. Next up from Anonymous, pronoun she and her. Shout out to Stacey Abrams' books, full of legal terms I now understand because of the Daily Beans. Clean up on aisle forty-five. And Jack. Her book as well, Justice Sleeps and Rogue Justice. Those are two of her. Oh, Avery Keen. Uh, I also have to give a shout out to Riding Beyond, a program that supports people who are suffering or have suffered breast cancer in the Rogue Valley of Southwest Oregon. Two horses named Mystic and Journey are very special and connected with their humans in miraculous ways. This is a free program with professional equine-assisted therapies, ridingbeyond.org. What the heck, wine? are Mystic and Journey. Mystic looks like a thoroughbred. Ooh, Journey looks like a, like almost like a Norwegian, uh, kind of a, you know, those, um, buckskins, but more golden. I've never seen a horse like this. You're so on your own for this. (laughs) I'm like a horse is a horse. Of 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 course. Of course. That's all I have. And Mr. Ed was a Palomino, but let's see, let's see what Mystic and Journey are. We've got an off sure. Ang-
1: and a- Mr. Ed was a Palomino.
0: <laughs> well, I got these both wrong. Just so <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Anglo Arab is Mystic, and Journey is a Rocky Mountain horse. Oh, okay. I right never then. heard of a Rocky Mountain horse. I learned something new today. So thank you. All right,
1: this next one's from Joel. Pronouns he and him. This was prompted by the realization about who was doing the kissing. In I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. Okay. I recently performed in a holiday fundraiser for our local community theater here in Western North Carolina where I performed I Saw Mommy in character as an adult who was so traumatized as a child by seeing what I thought was something nefarious that I created an entire Santa-centric conspiracy. I even created a conspiracy board with Christmas ribbon because if one can do prop comedy, why not? (laughs) Even, Even better, my parents played Santa and Mrs. Claus at the fundraiser, so I got to confront Santa with doing bad things, but it was actually my father dressed as Santa and I was accusing him of doing things that in the song was the father dressed as Santa being a very small town. Most people knew us and that just added to the comedy of the performance. (laughs) It's the first time I've ever shared a stage, by the way, with my dad and it was so much fun. Here's a picture of my conspiracy board. Yes, George W. Bush is part of the conspiracy, <laughs> <laughs> and one of my parents as Santa and Mrs. Claus aren't they just the cutest? For pet tax, may I present Captain Margaret Dashwood and Angela Lansbury cat, making it difficult for us to make the bed. Captain Margaret isn't happy to have been woken up for the picture. Angie has the white nose and was named her. We named her uh, so we can yell things like Angela Lansbury, stop licking yourself in front of guests. <gasps>
0: Okay, so there's the murder board with the the, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. Okay, that's really good. And your parents are adorbs. I want to hug them
1: both. That's a good beard, Santa. A good beard. And look at the bebe kitties. Hello.
0: So sweet. The nose on that one is adorable. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for all of these. And please continue to send in your good news and questions and uh, corrections and uh, asking us what animals are. That's just fun. It's just so much fun. Uh, And I really appreciate it. And you can send everything in by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Uh, Do you have any final thoughts, my friend? Do
1: I have any final thoughts? I feel like I should be better about this this year. I had some yesterday. Uh, d- d- no, I don't have any today. But I'm gonna start working on this since this is part of the podcast. <laughs> That's okay. I have a final thought. Oh, AJ, I never ask you, but I feel like you always just make sure they get in there.
0: Yeah, I just, I just shove them. In. AG,
1: do you have any final thoughts for today?
0: Why, yes, I do, Dana. I was uh, thinking about the Green Day performance at Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve, hosted mm-hmm. by Ryan Seacrest. It's the longest title of a television show in history. Uh, just you know, on New Year's Eve, and how they say uh, they they threw the the MAGA agenda in there. Don't want to be part of the MAGA agenda, or you know, in, in in the American idiot song, right? And it was so much fun to watch all of the fucking knuckle draggers on <laughs> on social media. Be like, leave leave politics out of punk rock, and it's like, okay, what? Because that's what punk rock is. And also, have you listened to Green Day? And did you Seriously? know that that song was about Bush v. Gore? Like, or the Bush and the Iraq War? Like, The song was originally about... So I was just... I didn't even know what else to say. All I tweeted was, yeah, stupid, keep it. Punk rock with politics? What's next? They're going to start dragging politics into comedy and art and shit. Who needs that? Um, <laughs> I was just like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um that's what punk rock is for. That's what that is. That's what music is for. That's what art is for. That's what. Yeah. I mean, not solely, obviously. Sure, but it's an expression. It's, how, it's yeah. How we air our
1: grievances, man. You man, tr- man. You actually triggered a final thought for me just because you were talking about watching Ryan Seacrest. I actually watched uh, Andy and. Um, <laughs>
0: Uh, Andy and uh, and, Anderson.
1: And and yeah, and and, uh, why can't I remember Anderson's first name first? Anderson, and is his first name, that's why. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so it's Andy and Anderson. I had no idea that Anderson Cooper had the giggle and laugh that he does. Oh, yeah. It is... I, I don't even know what to say about it. If anyone else watched it last night, so the year before they wouldn't let them drink at New Year's Eve because they turned into a hot mess and, and Anderson can't stop giggling and they did it, they list year this year they let them take shots and there was a scene where John Mayer is at a cat cafe in like yeah. Japan <laughs> or something. Anderson Cooper loses his shit in the most hysterical way but he has the funniest
0: giggle I've ever heard. It's, it's infectious. It, it is infectious laugh. for it's sure. It's one of those laughs that makes you laugh.
1: Yeah, uh, I hope y'all found some joy last night i know that it's not an easy time for a lot of people anderson talked a lot about it because as you as some of you may know and he's got a podcast that's all about grief and so there was this beautiful balance of yes we're having a celebration but we're not deaf to the fact that you know there's a lot of people that new year's eve is a tough night so maybe that's my final thought for those of you listening i hope that you if it is a tough holiday for you that you are surrounded by love and support and um you know, we're able to get through the night. And that's basically, you know, all we can hope for when um, things like this come up and you're in, in grief or you're grieving or you've lost someone during the year. So let's not, let's not forget about those people, that it's not just a big celebration that 2023 is gone and 2024 is here.
0: Yeah. And um, we're with you. We're here for you. You've always, you always have family. As is the entire population of the Liguminati. Um, and you know, that's such a, that's such a good point. I mean, like literally I heard my alarm go off and I said, um, Alexa, stop. And then I opened my eyes and watched the ball go down. And then I, I went, okay. (laughs) And then I uh, closed my eye again. Um, because for me, this was a countdown to menopause, right? Because today, January 1st marks one year from the first oh. day of my last <laughs> menstrual cycle. So Congratulations. I am now Yeah, I'm like, three, two, menopause. <laughs> and then I fall then back to sleep with started. my cats. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I'm one of those... <laughs> one of those <laughs> just, one of those liberals that likes punk rock music that every single MAGA absolutely hates because you know I jump in my electric vehicle and on my way to get my abortion when I try and to you're remember soy a latte days.
1: in the cup holder that's right
0: yeah but I do have to stop at yoga first um, and yeah uh, in my electric vehicle but uh, you know I will say that I'm I'm very excited uh, because 2024 and January means that this weekend on refried beans. Guess what happens?
1: Mega Plastics.
0: It's charismatic Mega Plastics (laughs) week. Happy anniversary, dildos. (laughs) That should be your new (laughs) (laughs) sign-off. Happy anniversary, dildos. Oh, fuck. Oh, you guys, we'll be in your ears tomorrow. Happy mm. New Year. Everybody, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Take care of your family. Vote blue over Q. And take all of them with you. Happy anniversary, dildos, I thought you were going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I've been H E And I'm been D.G. Get them the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill, with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give.
2: Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money